to Afraid Not Podcast with Jill McCormick and Robin Wall. We believe that our stories matter and make us who we are. Every other week, we invite guests to join us and share their stories. Even though our stories have nots, we are not afraid. Our stories are afraid. They are not perfect. We believe the truth of our mess makes us stronger. We hope that God uses these stories to encourage and strengthen your faith as you trust in Him. Our theme verse is Colossians 1, 17, which says, And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together, even our frayed knots. podcast listeners. I'm Jill McCormick. And I'm Robin Wall. And this is Afraid Not Podcast. You are listening to episode 91, and we are so excited about this episode. Oh, listeners, we are just, I am kind of fangirling over here. This is unbelievable that we get to have our guest today. Okay, Jill, tell them who it is. Okay, you're not going to believe it. We are talking to Jill Donovan of Rustic Cuff. That's right. You know her and love her already, I'm sure. If you've ever been to a Rustic Cuff store to buy beautiful bracelets and or accessories, purses, etc., then you've already become aware of how amazing the products are and what a great environment the stores are to walk into. And Jill was willing to spend time with us, tell us her story, share about a time of being afraid not in her own life, and we were just having the best time in this hour that we got to spend with her. She's amazing. She will tell you how the Rustic Cuff got started and what Oprah Winfrey had to do with that. Also, um, she's just so fun. Like, she has a new hobby every year, and she showed us some magic tricks that were unbelievable really i mean we're still trying to figure out how she is doing these amazing magic tricks she did stuff that we were our our minds were blown it was really fun so listen in jill thank you so much for joining us thank you jill i'm excited to be sitting here with robin and jill because first of all i just met robin but i love being with jills i know it's it's exciting because you don't meet many Jills. I know, and our yeah. name means youthful, and so Robin's, we all act like we're twelve. It's perfect. Robins are a dime a dozen, but Jills, <laughs> man, this is exciting. And listeners, you don't know this because you're not able to see right now, but Jill and I are pinching ourselves because we're actually sitting with Jill Donovan in her office at the Rustic Cuff headquarters. So. Is this a really, is this happening? Funny. We're really excited to be here and very thankful for your time with us today, Jill, to just hear your story and to well, let thank God you. use it however you will. Thank you for the invitation. And listeners, you can't see this, but Jill and Robin, when we walked by a lot of bracelets, they just started taking them off of the racks. <laughs> and on their wrists are bracelets that I know they did not purchase. <laughs> and, but that's for another story. We promise we'll pay for our <laughs> Right. (laughs) So for those of you who have uh, been following Rustic Cuff for years, you are well aware that Jill Donovan is the creative mind behind Rustic Cuff. But you, if you haven't heard about it, today's your lucky day to find out about a wonderful company that is making a lot of, doing a lot of good in the world. And so we're excited that Jill's going to just share who she is with us and would you just start us off today by kind of give us a little intro into who you are, that just a little snapshot. Sure. Um, 
I'm Jill. Jill number two today. <laughs> and no, you can um, be Jill number one. Okay, no. We'll share we'll share we'll share it today. Um, I'm a mom and a wife and a friend to all the people that work at this company. Um, I was born and raised in Baltimore and then moved to Pensacola, Florida. Um, couldn't didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, well, I thought I wanted to be a gymnast when I was little, but did not. Mm-hmm. Were, did you were you a gymnast as well? No. Okay. Didn't work out, and so uh, when I moved to Pensacola, Florida, I determined to start a new hobby every single year for the rest of my life, or until I found that thing that I was called to do. For 365 days. I would try something new, and I'm so glad I started this when I was younger because it has been 42 years of hobbies, and some of them, actually, all of them still play a very weird part in my life right now at some point during the year. Things just come up all from the last 42 years, and so it, it stemmed from getting shut down for being a gymnast, but that is when I just thank my coach for shutting me down because because of that, because of the no I got from him, I, it opened the door to a lot of other yeses of new hobbies. And that led, um, I went to ORU and graduated from Oral Roberts University, met my husband. Then I went to law school because I thought that was going to be my 365-day hobby turned into times four years. And then um, never, still didn't know what I wanted to do, which most of my friends, it felt like by that age, did. They were either teachers or accountants or they just knew what they wanted to do. And I still didn't. And so I kept pursuing hobbies. And that led to... A crazy story that has to do with Oprah, and I don't know if you want me to go into that Actually, story. Actually, Robin really helpful. wants to hear that. Okay. Well, Oprah was one of my hobbies one year, which uh, hobbies consisted of anything from learning how to sew, how to cook, to any musical instrument you can imagine, to any sport. I always ask people, tell me your favorite hobby, and I bet that was yeah. one of my hobbies for 42 years. What's like, your most interesting instrument? Is it the one you brought to the counselor's conference? The melodica. No, it was. it's actually an electronic saxophone that is one of the most interesting. It's this baby, this baby, and you can't, I think you can only get it in Germany, a mini uh, saxophone, electronic saxophone that you have headphones. So I'll take it on an airplane and play this so nobody has to hear it. And I'm terrible at it, but I'm the only one that has to hear it. <laughs> and and it's really it's really fun. That's one of the most interesting ones, and the most one of the most interesting hobbies I've ever done ever in 42 years is the one that I'm doing this year. And but that's just we did that before the podcast started. Yeah, so that I'm really, I can't, I'm so excited about it. And not just because it's the beginning of the year, but because. Can you announce it yet? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, but uh, it, people are going to think it's a little off, but um, but it's very Christian. And it's amazing. It's it um, amazing. I'm learned, somebody gifted me with magic lessons. And the guy um, that is teaching me private magic, giving me private magic lessons is part of the Fellowship of Christian Magicians, which I laugh because I didn't even know that was a thing. (laughs) 
And I only say that because sometimes Christians look at magic and then they see you with a witch hat. And, and But this, you know, magic, it's just a lot of sleight of hand and memorization thing. But I am fascinated that it is the connector with people. I can, I've sat in planes. I have gone to restaurants. I've done everything. I can look at the person next to me and say, can I, can I just do a quick trick on you? And people love it. And I love it because it's just this connector with people. So so fun. Yeah. And I bet their defenses just go down. They do. And then and then they want to know how you did it and then I shouldn't tell them but I have to tell them because I, <laughs> because I would want to know how when people do magic tricks, don't you want to know? Yes. Cuz it frustrates you. I'm so, so I tell curious people. about the ones you showed us before we started. I this can never tell she you. Amazed us before we <laughs> yeah. began recording, she did two fantastic tricks and both Jill and I were having our jaws drop like I saw Jill in half and then I put her back together yeah (laughs) but I but I'm not so good at that yet I'm working on it so Oprah was one of my one of the frustrations of doing so many hobbies is not finding something that you feel called to. And, you know, you've heard people say, find that thing that you're really good at and pursue that. And in that you'll find your purpose or your calling. Well, I like to do so many things that I just couldn't focus on one. And I thought, what if I were around somebody that knew what they were called to do? And growing up, I know I'm much older than both of you, but growing up, uh, I I watched Oprah every day. I came home from school and watched Oprah, and she seemed that she knew what she was called to do, and that was to connect with people and in an interview format, and much like you're doing right now, (laughs) and and so I wanted to get tickets to go see Oprah, just so I could be around her. Not that it would give me some magic answer, but I would get to see maybe somebody that would rub off on me in that way. And so I did. I tried to get tickets, and it's very difficult. Cannot get tickets. I tried one year, tried two years, and I had to go another route, and that was to get on her website to find out how can I get to the show without getting tickets to the show because they're, it's, it was a very hard thing to get. And one of the ways you can get to the show is to be on the show. Oh, uh-huh. super fun! Because the things they were looking for were like, um, did you kiss your uncle's brother, sister, husband? <laughs> I don't know. It was just like weird stuff. Yeah, it, it was things that you wouldn't necessarily want to go on the show for. And so I said, if there's just one of these things that would, you might want to edit that out. But kissing your uncle's brother, sister's wife's cousin. <laughs> But or not or not okay great um, because for the record I have never kissed my uncle's brother's wife's sister's husband so the the thing that they were looking for that fit me was are you a regifter and I thought this is a fun topic it's about etiquette is it proper to regift and so I wrote some funny stories to Oprah when I was an, I, I became an attorney. And again, that was not my calling to be an attorney. I was a divorce attorney. Definitely not my calling. Oh, wow. I know. And I frequently apologize to anybody who I did do a divorce for because I always say you could have gotten a lot more out of that if I weren't your attorney. (laughs) Um, But I loved the people. I just didn't enjoy the work side of it. And so I just thought all work felt like, like... uh, a drudgery to me. Nothing was a delight. It all felt like a drudgery. And Oprah seemed like she was delighting in what she did. And so I wrote this sort of funny email, funny stories. And the next thing I knew, a couple hours later, her producer called me and said, we love 
the email you just sent us, can we fly to Tulsa and film your gift closet? Because wow. I had this really big wow. gift closet. Wow. And it was, you know when something's happening that feels sort of surreal? Yes. You don't second, you, you don't question it. You just keep walking through it. And I just said, absolutely. I filled the gift closet up with a lot of stuff that I couldn't afford and um, <laughs> because I needed it to look good. And they flew to Tulsa, filmed the gift closet, interviewed me, and it was... All these years of doing hobbies, it finally felt like it was all coming to this beautiful moment that I was going to figure out what I was called to do. And I didn't know how I was going to. I just had this knowing. And I kept walking through it. And they they flew the film back up to Chicago. And they called me the next day and they said, we loved this interview. We want to fly you and your husband out the following day or the next day to sit on the front row. And it was really, it was, and I had never really thought about being on the show for this. I just really wanted to sit in the audience, but this was even better because I got to tell some funny stories and they said, well, we, you're not going to talk on the show. You'll just sit in the front row and they'll air your clip. And, and I said, okay. And so they did my makeup and my hair. It was everything that I would imagine from what I'd watched it forever. And now I'm sitting on the front row and I felt like it was like my wedding day. <laughs> I said, because my husband will never listen to this. And, <laughs> and, and I was sitting there and I thought, this is, this is so crazy. I think I will be able to process this when I, when I go home and what this really means. And right before the show started, the producer came up and told me that Oprah had decided that she wanted me on the stage with her so I could tell my stories now. Wow. And it was, again, it was another level of surreal. Because two and days... moments before the show started? Yeah, it was a few minutes. Oh. And, and days before that, I was still just trying to get tickets to the show. It's, it is a great reminder of what a difference a day can make. Or a moment or a week can make. You do not know what is going to happen a few days from right now. And so I went and sat on the couch next to Oprah. And there were only 300 people in the audience. But there, it was airing to 20 million people. Yeah. And at the time, I don't know in my head that I grasped what 20 million people are. I mean, that's probably how many are listening to right now to you. So it's a a bit like that. Yeah. This is a bit Oprah like right now. I'm having another Oprah. (laughs) Having another Oprah moment. Yep. (laughs) So the show started, and I wasn't nervous because it was 300 people. And, And I don't know why I wasn't nervous. I probably should have been because I wasn't thinking about 20 million people. Well, they aired the clip, and it was they wanted me to tell my stories now. And it was this lighthearted show about, are all these things proper to do? And when they aired my clip, Oprah, she looked at me, and she said, Now, Jill, what does this feel like that you've been exposed to the world? And I, started, I just laughed, and, and she said, Let's go to the etiquette experts and see what they think, which was fine because they were these cute girls that were sitting on the other side of the stage and just like I thought it was gonna be a fun fun ordeal and I just thought something great was going to come from this and these two unfortunately did not believe that regifting or that my regifting was kosher if you will because they then said uh, we think that what Jill is doing is rude and tacky and Oprah Oprah we she needs to get rid of uh, get send all that to goodwill and it was it was so 
it wasn't so much that I was embarrassed, even though I was. It was that I lost the hope that I had built up for years of discovering something cool. And so loss of hope is a much bigger emotion to deal with Uh than embarrassment. I can get over embarrassment. And it was in that moment for the next 10 minutes. And and this this was no fault of the Oprah show. This was, it just is how this moment happened. I just sat there and I thought this cannot be happening. This can't be the moment like God and I was having an internal dialogue with God. Why wouldn't you have just let me sit in the audience, which is where I thought I was going to be in the first Mm -hmm. place. Why did I have to go to the highest mountain to be taken to the lowest valley in a matter of 10 to 15 minutes when I really was just happy sitting there? In front of 20 million people. Yeah. It's a, this is a terrible thing, but it's like the song by, um, it's like meeting the man of your dreams and, and. Oh, I rock. Isn't yeah, ironic? Yeah. yeah, I don't even know who that's by. But it's like, why do I even need to see that to have that not be real? Like, why did I even need to get up there? I couldn't understand. Yeah, the, It ended, and I was inside. I was smiling on the outside, but inside, I felt like I'd been dealt a hand. I didn't even know how where it was going to go from there. Was your spirit just crushed? Crushed, crushed. Because I thought I would leave there with this beautiful 15-minute memory and that I would go home, and not that I thought I was going to be Oprah's co-host. It wasn't even about that. It was that I thought that was going to evolve into me discovering something that I really wanted to do. Again, don't know how that was going to be figured out. I just had this sense that I was going, this was going to lead to something. And I remember when... Uh, my husband, Terry, and I went to Gino's Pizza afterwards, and we were sitting in a booth, and I was crying. I let it all out, and yeah. and I said, I really don't know why God would have this happen. Like, I was, I was sitting in the front row. It was just fine. And then I had this clear, clear moment, this mental moment with clarity that I can't even describe to you. And after this moment of clarity, which I'll tell you in a second, it went back to a fog. And this is what I tell people. When you are going through a foggy, foggy, devastating moment of some sort, if you get any clarity, write it down because you will forget about it later if you do not write it down. You think you'll remember it, but the fog then overtakes what came to you during, uh, during your moment of clarity. So I said in my one moment of clarity, Terry, I don't know why this would happen, but I had this strong sense that God, um, something is going to come out of this that would, for a much, much bigger purpose than would have ever happened if I just had a good 12 minutes on the show. I could have had a great 12 fun minutes and people would say, I saw you on Oprah, that was fun. Or whatever the pain was from that moment would yield something so much greater than a 12 great minutes of fun would have ever yielded. I, I had... Sometimes you just know that you, you know. You just knew there was a purpose in it. I knew it. And then I went back to Fog. It aired three weeks later, and I remember thinking, this is much worse. It was, it's the memory. Like, I felt the pain when it was happening of, like, the loss of hope. Mm-hmm. But when I watched it, I experienced it all over again. And then I remember I'd go out to eat, and people would say, you look so familiar. Where do I know you from? <laughs> and I would always make up a celebrity like I'd say, not everybody knows who she is, but Susie Orman, because she's um, she's a financial guru with short hair like mine, and um, 
I would say I'm, su- and I give them financial advice. I would do that all the time in Tulsa. I gave out. Not only was it, did, did I not perform divorces, not do divorces really well, but I also gave out a lot of bad financial advice as Susie Orman. So, so it aired three times that year, and I, I shut down. That's what loss of hope can do to you. It can shut you down, and I shut down. And I, I took all the stuff back in that closet that I'd purchased for that segment. And then I gave it all away and, and swore that I would never open that closet up again. Or, nor did I want to regift. Nor did I want to watch Oprah because it was the reminder of what it could have been. Boy, it was, I'm talking about it, and I can still remember the feeling now all of these years yeah. later. And then what happens is you just sort of shut down that part. It was this creative part, that this fun part that I loved and this joy that I got, and it just shut down. I still, I wasn't bitter necessarily. I didn't even think I was bitter. But these girls, without really knowing it, were my dream stealers. Mm-hmm. And they took something from me, which, of course, they were just expressing their opinion. They didn't realize at the time that they took something from me that, this hope that I had. And again, didn't know how that was going to turn into anything, but I just had this feeling that it would. And five years went by. Like five years is a long time. And I say it's a long time because I was raising children. And you know, like two minutes is like two years <laughs> when you're raising children. So five years was like 50. Um, I was reading, I, there's this quote that says, um, I hate when I play with my kids for six minutes, uh, for two and a half hours, and it turns out it was only six minutes. <laughs> And that's what five years feels like when you're when you have little ones, right? Yeah. And it was such filled with such joy. But and then they you were, look back and you're like, oh my gosh, that was so short. It but flew. at the time, it's like, yeah, oh yeah. And the days are long, the, but the years are short. That is yes. such a great <laughs> quote. So, so after five years, I have this feeling that something is lacking in the sense of creativity inside of me because I decided I didn't want to do hobbies because if doing a hobby or searching for the calling or purpose got me to the stage of Oprah and got me to it airing three times with the reminder of this loss of hope then I don't want to do anything to get to that point so I shut down that too I didn't did you quit doing hobbies for a while yeah, I, pr- I mean, I probably still did some because I couldn't help myself, but not with any of the joy. I can't even remember what they were because it, I I was not with the same joy that I ever did them before. It just I had lost the sense of wonder. Mm-hmm. And when you lose the sense of wonder, you lose a really big part of you. It's, yeah. like, it's like growing up, so many people lose that. Hard to get back. And five years later, I... I had this realization that this is not who Jill is. This is not, I don't know why I started talking about myself in the third person suddenly. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't up to this point, so I'm not going to go back. I'm not going to do that. But I just, I was in bed one night and late, everybody was sleeping. And I just decided I had to let go of what these dream stealers did to me. Even though I hadn't really thought about it that much. Because, you know, you shut it down, you shut it down. In hindsight, what they did uh, owned me mm-hmm. because I thought they owed me something. And it wasn't that they owed me. They owned me. They owned this part of me that I allowed them to just take because I, I shut down. And so I just said, I, I'm going to let it go and forgive them. And I sat up in bed and forgave them, even though they didn't even 
they didn't even know they had done anything. And I forgave them. And when I did, I had this sense of, oh, I can breathe again. I can, I can live again in a way that I haven't been living in five years. Just from saying, I forgive them. And I do this thing. It's hard to, it's hard to forgive people who have done things that you feel have affected you for years. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to figure out a way, like, how do you really forgive when somebody does something to you that is that painful? And I decided to, I would, when I tried to forgive people, I would remember them and forgive them from a place before I knew what they had done. So I remember them for a few minutes before they had stolen my dream. And I thought about them in that way. And then I forgave them. I like, I saw them differently yeah, it's not. It's it's hard to do sometimes because you don't always know the people before they've done something. But I just thought about them. I thought, you know what? I don't think that was terribly intentional. And I just decided to reframe it, and I forgave them. And I and I got out of bed, and I just said, okay, I am going to ask God to give me an idea that I can now fill this closet up that I had emptied out. I mean, I had not regifted. I had emptied the closet. And I worked my way through law school by working at, I worked at American Airlines, which meant I got to travel a lot. And every country I would go to or city, I would buy a cuff, a big bracelet, as a reminder of that city. It was just the thing I looked for. And they weren't expensive. It was just bracelets that I would fill my drawer up with as a, as a token of what that city was like for me. And I opened the drawer, and I thought, that's it. I'm going to teach myself how to make cuffs and put words on it that I wish I would have had on my wrist for the last five years. Mm-hmm. And I want to wear, I'm going to make these and gift them to people so they have words of encouragement that they can have. And that is how Rustic Cuff was born. Not with the intention of ever having a business, because in my mind, everything I'd ever done was, oh, I have to do, it was nothing, there was, no, there was no joy in any job I had had. There was no true joy. Mm-hmm. So I thought, I don't want this to be a job. I just want to do it for the heck of, just for the pure love of creating something. Yeah. And so I, I would put my girls to bed and I would go in this back bedroom and everything's figure outable. If you want to figure out how to make cuffs, you, if you dig deep enough, you can figure it out. And I, that's what I did every night. And I started putting words on them and I loved it. I came alive. I lost so much sleep, but I didn't care. And then from this, from that birth, this whole thing of just like, I could not keep them in the closet because I just kept wanting to just give them to my friends and family and people. And so that, that's, that's how the story full circle moment on all of that is that years after Rustic Cuff got started, I got a letter from Oprah and from her, from her team with the March issue of her cover. This was a few years after Rusticuff got started. And it said, Dear Jill, congratulations. Rusticuff has been chosen to be on the wrist of Oprah for our March issue. We just wanted to let you know congratulations. And when I looked at the cuff she was wearing, it was a cuff that I had mailed to her best friend, Gail. I'd mailed Gail, like, I don't know, eight cuffs, ten cuffs. And she used to wear them on the CBS. She still does, actually, on the CBS morning show. And one, the one that Oprah was wearing was one that Gail used to wear on the CBS morning show. Wow. So I thought, okay, is Oprah wearing a regifted cuff on the <gasps> no! cover of her magazine and yeah. doesn't even realize the story? So, so did she even connect? No. God's sense of humor in writing that story and allowing me to see a magazine with Oprah on the cover wearing a regifted cuff 
that I had created was was almost wow. just too much. I just I, I wept when I saw it because and laughed at the same time because that ever since the whole thing started, I just thought this is what I was created to do. Not not necessarily make cuffs, but to. Uh, to give and connect with people every day that, in, in whatever form it could have been you know it could have been rubber bands it could have been pens it didn't matter god just chose cuffs in this instance and that's that's the that's the birth of rustic cuff of course I a lot has happened since then but yeah I love it. it's a story so can you tell the story about how when you gave the first cuff to somebody yeah so um after the closet started getting filled and I was giving away to friends and family, I sensed that I was supposed to start giving away to strangers, which was not super comfortable to do. And, but anytime something's not comfortable, we know that when you do it, there's such good on the other side of it. Mm-hmm. And if you don't do it, then it'll keep nagging at you. And that's what this, this just kept nagging me. And I sensed that I was supposed to put several cuffs on and then go out to the grocery store or wherever I was going and just start giving them away. And I went into the grocery store this one particular day, and I saw a girl who was checking people out at the, um, in her line, and I just knew she was the one. I don't know how I knew. My knower just knew. And when I got up to the front of the line, without looking down, because I had several of them on my wrist, on my left wrist, without looking down, I just unsnapped it, and I said, I feel like I'm supposed to give this to you. And there were still people in line behind me looking at me it was it was all very uncomfortable and uh, she immediately started to cry and then it got more uncomfortable and she said I I don't know how you would know this but um yesterday I was diagnosed with breast cancer and when I was told I had breast cancer I said a prayer that God would give me a sign of hope that everything would be okay and when I looked down at her bracelet it was a pink bracelet and she just looked at me through, with tears in her eyes and said, I wanted to thank you for being that sign of hope. And that was the moment that I went back to Gino's Pizza and said, but for having those moments on the show, I don't think I would have emptied the closet. I don't think I would have filled the closet back up with cuffs and be, be wearing them around to give them to this girl to give her the hope. And for that one moment, it was worth all of that, yeah. all of that. And, and then I walked back to my car and I said, this is what I was created to do. I'm going to give cuffs away every single day for the rest of my life. And, mm-hmm. and that then just got a team of people and that's what we started to do. And then it just, one thing led to another and it just, it got a little, it got a little crazy. And <laughs> it got a little crazy. And it was just such joy of, of giving, of giving them away. I just, I love it. So that's the full circle moment and the moment of giving away. Then there was a bigger full circle moment from from that. But anyhow, I'm back to you. Yeah, so yeah. tell us that. I would love to hear the yeah. bigger full okay. circle moment. I'm hanging on the end mm, of my seat. Mm. <laughs> so that was um, that was on nine or t- nine years ago, nine or ten years ago, and over the years we've done a lot of stuff with breast cancer not because anybody I in my family or anybody really close to me had breast cancer it just it was they're just a lot of wonderful people who have breast cancer and right. it's um and so over the years we've given away thousands thousands of pink bracelets and thousands um of lots of pink stuff and supported breast cancer and we've we've collected through our customers $100,000 for breast. I mean, we've done, with our customers, have done a lot. Mm-hmm. 
just because we felt called to, um, because we just did and we wanted to, never knowing that planting those seeds would come back full circle. So 10 years ago, I mean, so not 10 years ago, actually five months ago, I got a call that I was diagnosed with breast cancer, Mm -hmm. which is so crazy because that was nowhere in my family. I was, I never, ever thought, I never had any issues in as far as my checkups and, and all these years. And so in, in the, a lot of people don't, a lot of people get breast cancer that have genetically, it's nowhere in their family and it's a big shock to a lot of people. But I'm telling you, this call was such a shock to me that I, you don't feel like it's real. But from the moment I found out, found out from the moment this wonderful woman called me to tell me this, and I, I wrote all this down, every single person that I encountered on this cancer journey, had we had somehow sown seeds over the years with, um, with Rustic Cuff. Wow. And, and I saw it all coming back. It was almost like God said, you didn't know that all these seeds you were sowing, that that was going to come back and bless you directly, like have a direct, all the, all the money sown for research over the years, all the cuffs given. I mean, I was given pink cuffs. You know, you go to the, the breast center and they have things for you there that you have sown in over the years. And the, the day before I got the diagnosis, I had gone back for a biopsy. So I knew something might not be right, but you still, if you, if you research it, which you, you shouldn't, uh, you know, the large percentage of people who go for biopsies are fine. And right. so you think, I'm, I'm a large percentage. And the night, so later that night, I said what this girl said 10 years ago. I said, God, would you give me a sign of hope that everything's going to be okay? Because I don't, I hadn't gotten diagnosed yet, but I just thought, I just want some sort of sign because nothing was clear. And it, you're, you are walking around a fog when you're trying to find out what is yeah. wrong. And I prayed this at seven o'clock at night. I was up, driving into the parking lot here at my office and I came inside and there were four girls still here. And at seven thirty two, the doorbell rings here to this office, the side door. Nobody comes here that late. And I look up on the monitor and it's an Amazon truck. And I thought, oh, God is answering me in the form of Amazon. He, he, works, <laughs> he works for Amazon. Or not works for, he owns Amazon. And went to the door, and the, the Amazon guy delivered this package with my name on it, but no note on the inside. And it was the craziest thing. Because I literally just asked God for a sign, like this girl did many years ago. And I opened this package, and it was a pink melodica which is a cross between a piano and harmonica, and no name. And what? I didn't even know there was a pink melodica. It's this instrument that I love to play, but I didn't know there was a pink one. And I have, I had my friend take a video because I just said, nobody's going to believe this unless there's a video. This pink melodica is a sign to me that no matter what diagnosis I get, that I am supposed to keep worshiping and singing through the difficulty, no matter what happens. And still in my head, I was like, well, that's not going to be me. I'll play it for other people. <laughs> and sure enough, at 9.30 the next morning, I got the call that, that I was diagnosed uh, it was breast cancer indeed. And I played that every single day leading up to my surgery, and it became the thing that got me, that got me through. It really did because I, 
I looked at it like God was really trying to speak to me because I just asked for this sign. And he did it in the form of a melodica, a pink one that I didn't know existed. And and so, Beautiful. yeah, I, he just is like, ask me and I'll give, I'll give, I'll answer you. Ask me and I'll answer you. And so then for the next, you know, that was five months ago. And so I've been walking through this, uh, but so many full circle moments that I can, it's hard to even describe all of them. The girl that called me to tell me I had breast cancer at the end of, she was so precious. Like if you're going to get a call like that from somebody, you want her to call you. And I said at the end of the call, have we ever met? This Tulsa is a small town, mm-hmm. and she said, one time, the day before Christmas, Christmas Eve, I walked into one of your stores, and we had never met before, and you looked at me and said, I want to give you um, a free shopping spree. I want to give you a gift card. Aww. And for no reason, she said, you just did that. And this was years ago. And so here, with just such beauty, she calls me and tells me the worst news ever, but she did it with such grace. And it was like God was saying, see, years ago you did something that you never, ever thought would, would come back to bless you. And she just, I can't tell you, it's, very, it's a very hard thing to have to call people and do that. But she, um, she did it with such grace and to know that we had that connection. It happened that way with every single person mm-hmm. on this cancer uh, treatment journey. That, And I think that would be a calling because I've heard other people tell their stories of finding out their diagnosis of cancer. Yeah. And it was just very blunt and like, yeah. you have cancer. Yeah. And no, like, right. Just, it, yeah. Very methodical. Like, I'm sorry you have this kind of cancer. But she, I, it, it's very hard to describe because it's the worst news, but it did something for me that enabled me to then get through another day and get through another day. But the thing that God prepared me for, because when you go through something really hard, if you look back, you'll see that God was preparing you for it without you mm. even knowing it at the time. Right. And I told you that I started a new hobby every year. Well, granted, this it's magic this year, Christian magic this year. <laughs> but last year was mem- memorization, and I began to memorize things every day to sharpen my mind, just fun, fun, useless facts. But I felt convicted that I was supposed to start memorizing a Bible verse every day. And so starting the third week of January, that's what I did. I started memorizing from January all the way to October. Not just one, because I was one, and then one led me to two, led me to five. And I I would spend three hours in the morning, which is so it's crazy because my, my days are so crazy busy that somehow I was compelled to sit down for three hours I would come in my office from 7 to 10, keep the door shut, and memorize. I know it sounds, I look at it now, I'm like, that's a lot of time. But it was a bit like you're building this ark that God knows how much it's going to rain, but you you don't, but you just keep building. And I did this every day all the way till October. So when I got the call, my heart was so prepared because there was no room for fear in my heart because it was filled with so much word. Oh, I love that. So many scriptures about peace that passes all understanding and how fear must go that when I heard this and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a small thing. It was, you know, you have a tumor inside of you and that's Mm -hmm. growing and you just, you, albeit slow, but it's still, it's still a tumor and it can overtake you with anxiety. The anxiety that can be created can trump everything else. But because 
my and now not to say that I didn't shed a lot of tears, but because my heart was so filled with God's goodness and His Word and faith and um, casting out all vain imaginations, and to you know to put your mind on the what is true and what is good, all these things, I I cannot I cannot tell you mm. how. It was, it was like it was raining and flooding, and I was inside an ark that had been built, you know, had, there was times, 10 months of time spent building this ark. And I don't say that from, look what I did. I say, look what God did to prepare me for something that he saw ahead that I could not see. I love it. And I, listeners walking through this, this cool business, there are so many scriptures to see. And when we, Jill and I got to have this walking through before we started today, I noticed so many beautiful scriptures on the wall. I saw, I saw Isaiah 4110, mm-hmm. which happens to be my life verse. So oh, I was like, wow. there's Isaiah 4110, my old friend, you know, <laughs> and just beautiful scriptures that are surrounding mm. the environment where every day your business is happening mm-hmm. and the scriptures are filled, like part of the walls Yeah, of this mm-hmm. whole place yeah it's where you're um everything comes together and the word of god is a part of everything you do here it's just beautiful i love it i don't know how people do it without having that inside of you because i would go sit in during treatment i would go sit in a room filled with you know 30 cancer patients Mm -hmm. every day and i would look around the room and think i don't know how anybody in this room can move forward with any sort of peace without knowing the Lord or having their heart filled with his word. So right. I'm so great, so grateful. It's a reminder to listen when he, when he directs you to do something, you think, well, I needed to reap a harvest right now, but it was not going to, I mean, it wasn't until 10 months later that I truly understood why I needed the discipline to do that because I thought I had the Bible app that I could pull that up at any point. And I didn't know better. God knew better. He knew that something very, very difficult was getting ready to happen. And if I was not prepared, it would take me down. And when I go down, then my family gets pulled down. And this entire company does. So he knew I needed to be built up. I have this as a reference in my mind now. The next time and every time that I feel prompted to do something, even if it doesn't make sense, it's I have to do it because I do not know what is mm-hmm. ahead for me. Mm-hmm. So... I, I, I file these things away in my in my mind. And yeah. we can't understand his timing. No. And we don't see it. Sometimes we can see it behind us, but we <laughs> right. just really, like when we're in the midst of it, are like, why aren't you doing something right now? Like, fix it right now. Right now. We don't understand in the years to come yeah. what a beautiful picture it might be yeah. painting. When you're going through it, or any hard time, you think, all I need is clarity. God, if you'll give me clarity, mm-hmm. then I'll be okay. Because if I have clarity, I can walk through anything because I can see clearly. And I learned that while I was going through this, or not even just cancer, but anything, I'm not owed clarity. I don't even have to have clarity. All I have to do is trust God in the midst of zero clarity and he will show me that one little next step. It's the, what is the verse? Um, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. Mm-hmm. A lamp is not the entire sun shining down mm-hmm. on you. A lamp does, does sometimes does not even give out much light at all. And 
I, I actually, not that I don't pray for clarity anymore, but I do not see a lack of clarity as a reason not to keep moving forward. Mm. I think I cannot move forward on anything unless God, you give me clarity. But the truth is all I need is this lamp shining on the very next step, even in the midst of zero clarity. And that set me free from having to demand clarity in any situation that I was demanding or needing. I would pray for clarity. I won't move forward, God, until I have full clarity. And then I thought, what kind of trust is that? Anybody can move forward if you can see the exact path. Right. There's no trust in that. The trust comes in is if you can just see where your where your toe moves next, where your big toe moves next, without without any other clarity. And it and it really set me free from having to know everything that God knows because that's He's not going to not going to tell us. He doesn't always tell us. He just wants to say, hey, uh, if you just move a little bit, then I'll show you the next step. And uh, then the next step. that's what faith is. Yes. We don't know what the next thing is going to be. No. We just keep trusting that he's going to take care of it. Yeah. And he, I also, you know, you learn a lot when you go through. You learn way more when you go through hard than when you're at Disney World having a great time. Mm -hmm. But I also learned that he doesn't give you clarity until you go like when you when you go then he will show you the next step so you can't sit there and say show me first and then I'll go he says go go take take a teeny baby step and then I'll show it's like you go and then he shows and then you go and again that set me free too from Sitting there, just having to just wait until God reveals everything before I go, and it, that's you're right. That is exactly what faith is. So today, this morning, I just said, "Okay, God, what is? Where can I go? Like, if I'm going to go, like, just, just, I just need that little teeny lamp. Just show me, and then because I want the next step too. I want the next step, and I'll never get the next step if I just don't take that baby step. Mm. Is this what all of your podcasts are? This the guest talking the whole time because that's all I've done. <laughs> I literally have talked this entire time. I how awful! I am no, so it's sorry. Your story. We want I know, story. but this is your podcast. You know something that is just a beautiful Goodness. thought that um, I was just in the back of my mind while you were telling us about the pink melodica, just thinking about the obedience of the person who sent it to you, because uh, the person who sent that to you. Mm would have had no way of knowing at all that this was going to be a very significant and meaningful answer to a prayer. And they mm. would have had no way of knowing of the timing that you were going to see it at 7.32 p.m. On the, from yeah. the Amazon truck. Mm-hmm. They would have had no way of knowing that the meaningful reminder from the Lord, that, oh, I see you, Jill, I've got you. Mm. Like, they just sent the pink melodica. That's good, Robin. And you know, we just never know. And the little tiny nudge of a toe, like you just said, when we're supposed to do one next thing, even if it seems like a fog and like it doesn't make sense to do that, or handing the bracelet to the grocery checker seems really weird and uncomfortable, but you never know mm. what blessing mm. is in store. And that person who sent the pink melodica may never know until heaven someday. Yeah. Oh my goodness, that was you and that was me and that yeah. was what? But because 
I don't know. Maybe the Lord will let them know. Maybe they'll get to hear this podcast. No, I found out who sent it. Oh, you, you did? You? I did. Oh, I want to hear it. It was a crazy story. So um, we have some friends at the lake, and I have a melodica, a, a ugly blue melodica that I had at the lake, and I left it at their house. And they live in Oklahoma City, and she was telling me the story later, that they were driving back to Oklahoma City, and she said, oh, Jill left her melodica at our house. And he said, the husband said, I will get online right now and order one for her, okay? So he got on Amazon, ordered a pink one for me. Mine wasn't pink. It was a blue one. Had it sent to my office, which is so amazing because, like you said, it got sent Half an hour, half an hour after I prayed that by a guy who, had, of course, nobody had any idea I was going through the, mm-hmm. getting a biopsy. Right. So that very moment, had he waited, you know, it would have been the next night. And I mean, it was such a perfect. It was such a beautiful, wonderful gift with God's perfect timing. And you are absolutely right. It, you, we have to be obedient in doing that because. Even though it didn't make sense to him at the time, why am I sending a pink melodica to Jill? He just he thought he was just doing it to replace the one I left. He didn't know that that would be God's answer to me mm-hmm. to my cry that I had just you know given him thirty minutes ago. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. So that's and for all the people that are listening to this story and you're wondering, well, I want a story just like Jill's. So how do I get that story? Go. Well, she has a quote when you walk into the office that says. Don't read someone else's chapter don't, 20. Don't Tell compare your chapter your, 1 to someone else's chapter 20. Don't compare your chapter 1 to yeah. someone else's chapter 20. You just don't know what the Lord has in store for you. Mm. You just never know. Mm. And He is so trustworthy. And He is so faithful. Mm-hmm. So your chapter 1 is going to turn out to be an amazing chapter and an amazing story that God's writing and it's not going to be the same because every story is unique but he sees you and everybody has a story like everybody could write a book if they just put their story to paper mm-hmm. and i mean along with all these really fun things that have happened with Rustic Cove come really hard really hard things as well. It has all been rainbows rainbows and unicorns. (laughs) Had you told me in the beginning what the 11 years would have been like, I I probably would have said, that sounds so exciting, but it sounds like really hard at the same time. Because along with the beautiful thing comes a beautiful burden. And this is why God does not tell us in advance. Well, and I was thinking about that when you were talking about the light into my feet. If we, like, are trying to take five steps ahead right. before we take this step, if we're walking down a staircase, we're going to fall down the entire staircase. That's good. That's why we only have to do, yep. it only gives us this much for right now. Yeah. Because if we saw everything and we didn't understand what we were going to go through, yeah, either we wouldn't walk the staircase or we would tumble down the whole thing. Yeah. And the key is, is, is really listening to what God is prompting us to do because he can see what is ahead Mm -hmm. and we don't like to do that because it doesn't make sense we only want to do the things that make sense so when he tells something we're like that's going to be really silly to everybody else who sees me do that (laughs) why would i send a pink melodica to jill because god knows that she's getting ready to get a diagnosis and the gift that's his answer and so to follow the prompting is Mm -hmm. is when you can't see what it means we should we should all just just say yes to God. I mean, all, we should just always say yes 
why would we not always say yes, especially when you look back in your life, he has never not been faithful. Anytime you've said yes. Now, when you say no, he eventually, it weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. Like you eventually get back up, but it's a much easier journey if you just say yes. The most beautiful blessings are on the other side of saying yes when there's no clarity. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'd like to quote that. Can I? Can I quote? Yeah. Can I quote myself that? Can I put that on the front wall? <laughs> Why don't you do yeah. that? No, I'll never remember that again. Yeah. Yeah. You only. You, I'm only able to say these things because I've gone through the hard times. This is. It's the most raw and real when you go through them, and mm-hmm. I don't want to go through the hard times again. I know. I know there are always trials ahead, but it's the most. It, the most beautiful fruit comes from the biggest struggle. Well, and you and I know being Enneagram 7s. Yep. We don't like pain and suffering. No. And hard things. No. I don't like it. Yeah. So I'm not going to go seek it out. Right. But that is where we kind of get the growth. Can we say how we met? Sure. Okay. okay. So I met Jill because Jill's husband was my radiation therapist. tech. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Therapist. And... Um, and so that was super fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, Sean was awesome and amazing, but it's a very vulnerable thing to be in front of strangers every day and to be in that state. And so he would say such wonderful things about you. And yeah, he would come home and be like, oh, my gosh. Like every day it was like, she's an Enneagram 7. She has the coolest <laughs> shoes you've ever seen. That's like so it was funny. something else that was like, you guys have to meet. <laughs> that is so funny. Well, when you're getting uh, radiated, they go in the other room and then they speak to you over the loudspeaker, you know, and they tell you to breathe or don't breathe. And when I first started, I they wouldn't say my name. They would just say, okay, now take another deep breath and hold it. And after like fifth, sixth day, I said, okay, since I'm going to be here for a while, can you guys say... Can you personalize it and say, hey, Jill, now can you do this? And good job, Jill. And so the tech started doing that. Well, when Sean, your husband, got on the, the mic, he didn't ever say my name. And so when I was finished with my treatment one day, he came in. I said, Sean, everybody else gives me encouragement and says, and says um, okay, Jill, now t- take a deep breath. And he said, it's because I say Jill all day long <laughs> that I can't bring myself to say Jill again. And so then he got a free pass from saying Jill ever again. Yeah, but he was great, and I'm I'm so grateful for him and all of those people there. They that is quite a job to have to love and, and walk with people, walk them through something that is the unknown. And he did he did such a great job. So. I mean, yeah. he's all right. He's okay. Yeah. <laughs> he's all right. He's all right. <clears throat> so, listener, maybe today your prompting is when God tells you to do something, follow the prompting. Mm-hmm. Say yes. Do it. Even if you don't understand and it seems weird and silly and you're going to be feel awkward, who cares? Just it may be that pink melodica that you need to send. Mm. Yeah. So. Amen. And, Jill, we just want to say thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for being a blessing to all of the listeners for our podcast and for Jill and me in our endeavors to do this podcast. You've just been a huge blessing to us. Thanks a lot. Thank you, oh, Robin. Tell us the name Thank of your you, book. Jill. Oh, my book is The Kindness Effect. Um, it's, you know, it's first book. I'm writing second book. And what authors will say 
when they write a second book is, I wish I would have known what I know now when I wrote my first book. Um, I shouldn't qualify. I, that's a terrible, that's a, a terrible promotion for my book. But the book is, uh, it's called The Kindness Effect, and it talks a little bit about the story you just heard just now. But a lot of the chapters are based on stories of other people's irrational generosity, mm. all based around quote cuffs that I had made over the years. So, okay. yeah, it's a special read after I gave it a big qualifier of first book. <laughs> uh, on Amazon? So, on yeah, Amazon, yeah. Our listeners can find it and purchase that today. Yeah. That'd be good. Yeah. Okay. Thank, Thank you, you so much for your Thank time. Thank you. I, I loved, I, you're the best podcast host ever. <laughs> ever. And I love that you have 20 million listeners and... Um, <laughs> right. And you made it such a joy because it felt just like a conversation to me. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, listeners, for being with us today on this really fun episode of Afraid Not. We hope you loved it as much as we did. We were so appreciative and excited to have Jill here. And um, one thing that really struck me was when you sent or you're prompted to do something and you send somebody a pink melodica, you have no idea what that might mean to somebody sure that you're listening to that and kind of to tag on with that thought that Jill just shared I just loved her response of yes whenever the Lord gives her a prompting she's just learning to say yes even if it seems uncomfortable even if it seems unexpected and it doesn't seem to make sense and I'm taking that with me today I want to ask the Lord to help me I don't want to miss out on a yes whenever he's prompting me to do something I need to say yes. I need to write the note. I need to send the card. I need to um, say the thing, whatever it is that's popping into my mind, like I'm supposed to do this. And so maybe that's for you today too, listeners. So let's just obey the promptings of the Lord in our lives and just walk in faith that He's going to use us in unexpected ways to be a blessing in the lives around us. And maybe we all need to pick up a new hobby every year. Hey, I mean, why not? She's inspiring. I know. (laughs) All right, listeners, thanks so much. We'll see you again in a couple of weeks with another great interview. And make sure you rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends, share it on social media, and we will see you again. 